we're seeking to do this morning is really introduce this, this study um, by taking a look at the book as a whole. And it, it seemed fitting to me, at least, that we would follow uh, what was a topical study on redemption with now an expositional study of the book of Galatians. And if, if the connection between the two isn't just immediate to you, that's, that's uh, absolutely okay. So I want to spend this morning providing three reasons or three motivations for this series that I'm expecting to last uh, 12 or 13 weeks, basically right up to the holiday season with, uh, with Thanksgiving. First reason is found in the unique way that Paul opens the letter because I think it pinpoints from a human perspective what prompted him to write this letter. So I'm, I'm referring to verses 6 through 9 of chapter 1. And, and before I read them, I want you to be reminded that what, what I'm about to read in Galatians 1 verses 6 through 9 comes where Paul typically is expressing his thankfulness to God for whoever he's writing to and he's encouraging them with his prayers for them. But when we begin to read Galatians, there's, there's none of that here. And it's not because he wasn't thankful for them, nor is it because he wasn't praying for them, but there was something more urgent and necessary at hand among the churches of Galatia that prompted him to write this letter. And that more urgent and necessary something among them was the gospel which is the obvious connection to our previous study, but in the churches of Galatia, it was the gospel's purity and its preservation. So verses 6 through 9, actually, I want to read verses 1 through 5 as well, just so that you hear Paul's greeting, and in hearing his greeting, knowing that he wrote 12 other letters, you're, you're going to hear his greeting and you're going to anticipate the words that almost always follow his greetings in his other letters. Words uh, something like grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then typically, and I thank God for you all. And just praying always for you all for this and for this and for this and that you would be this and that God would do this among you and in you. But in Galatians, instead of thankfulness and prayers, we immediately get this sense of urgency and warning because the gospel was at stake there. So Galatians 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle... Not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and forever. Amen. So there's the greeting. And yet, instead of, and I thank God for you all, and I'm praying for you continually, we hear as we read the letter, and they got as they read the letter, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. 
As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. There is no question what this letter is about. It is about the gospel. If Galatians were the only letter that we had so that we were limited to its content alone to try to figure out what's going, behind, what's going on behind the letter, and if it were our first time reading through it, we would know by the time we get to verse 10, we would know that there were churches that once embraced the gospel who were in the process of departing from the gospel by embracing a distortion of the gospel that was being propagated from within and among them. And that this wasn't a light thing or a minor distortion of the gospel is clear in Paul's invoking of God's curse upon those propagating or promoting this false gospel within the church. He says, let him be accursed twice. So, motive number one for transitioning from a topical study on redemption to an expositional study of a book like Galatians is because Galatians is a defense of the gospel that we've just spent three quarters of a year rehearsing, hopefully for our growth and for our good. But Galatians is a reminder that what we just did was only partly motivated by a desire to enrich your personal understanding and deepen your personal embrace of the gospel. It's only part of it. The other part of our motivation was our corporate understanding and our corporate deepening and embrace of the gospel for our unity around it and nothing else so that when pressure and when persuasion comes from without or from within to desert the gospel, we would not only have the ability to open the Bible and personally stand for and defend the gospel, but that we, as in Christ fellowship, might do that corporately together. That collectively we would do what Paul calls the churches of Galatia to do in reference to those among them, persuading them to des desert, depart from the gospel, which is unite and together throw them out of the church. So we are being called here to be intolerant of gospel distortions and to act swiftly and decisively to expel them and those who propagate them from among us. And all of that sounds good. And I'm quite certain, knowing most of you, that internally most of you are saying yes and amen. That is what we should do. But the discernment to know when a situation calls for that kind of united urgency and the will to actually follow through and do it might not be as obvious as you think. The reality is, some of you, and I don't have a list of names under here, this is just kind of generic. And every church, and I think it absolutely applies here. So when I say some of you, if I thought that was you in particular, I'd hopefully 
talk to you privately, so I'm not necessarily <laughs> indicting you so that you have to think, is he thinking of me? I'm, I'm just, in general, saying there, there might be some of you here who would have been among those who minimized the threat in the churches of Galatia and potentially just rolled your eyes at Paul's charge to expel both the doctrine and the people from among us. So let him be accursed. To some might sound like, well, he's just trying to make a point. I mean, he'd never actually mean that. And there has to be a process of expelling people that's fair and political and orderly and loving and always assuming of good motives, even if they are wrong. I mean, we don't ever want to get into judging motives, do we? But Paul here judges motives in the letter. He says in chapter 1, their distortion of the gospel was not unfortunate misinformation. That could be corrected over time and tolerance and conversations in the course of just laid back, casual, everyday life. It's going to come up sometime. Paul says their distortion of the gospel was intentional. Chapter 1, verse 7. He says in chapter 2, verse 4, they are false brothers in the church, secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus with the motive that they might bring us into slavery. How did he know that? He didn't get that honesty from those propagating this gospel. He's judging motives based upon actions. He says in chapter 3 and verse 1 to the churches, you've been bewitched. He says in chapter 4, verse 18, they are making much of you with the motive that you might then make much of them. And he says again in chapter 6, they are distorting the gospel in order that they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ and in order that they might boast in your flesh. So... uh, I share those verses because this letter isn't just an academic defense of the gospel, but it is an urgent call for a defense of the gospel in the face of a threat, a real threat. And it required united action, decisive, swift, intolerant action by the church. And the action called for was to expel them. And by expelling them, expel the false doctrine. And by doing so, Preserve the unity of the church around the purity of the gospel. And this letter is a really helpful reminder in our society of tolerance that there are things that we are charged to always be intolerant of. The primary of which is gospel distortion. But I do want to spend at least a moment addressing the other side of that equation as well. So I'm sure that some of us are saying, wow, you know, it's so true. We're so soft. I'm so soft. The gospel is always, the gospel's purity, its preservation is always worth fighting for. And I want to take my role in that at Christ Fellowship more serious by personal study and corporate engagement so that I know the gospel well enough to detect error. Okay, that's one side. And that's great. 
you process it like that. But there are others of us who hear this charge from Paul and inside you cry out, yes, this is our job. Bring on the fight. And you're always ready and alert. But in the process, let's say that you are in danger of missing out on so many opportunities to serve others and evangelize your community. And I think that Paul warns of that throughout this letter. Not only this letter, but others of his letters. May may I just remind you that Galatians is just one of 13 letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. And while every letter addresses doctrinal depth and concern, as well as specific issues of controversy or debate and even often sin in the churches. The overwhelming tenor of the letters is, I thank God for you people. It was such a privilege to serve you, and I wish that I could come back because I'm hearing of all these amazing things that are happening in your midst, and you still have work to do and sin to confront and theological connections to be made, which I'm now addressing in this letter. But press on, church! Remain united around the gospel and resist the attacks of the devil and plan to spend the rest of your lives together committed to each other and protecting one another from the attacks of Satan and investing selflessly in each other for the sake of the gospel until Jesus comes. So, to the overly tolerant among us, And to the less theologically motivated or concerned, this letter, I think, might help you because it is a call toward urgency. There are things in life to live with a sense of constant urgency for. And at the top of that list is the gospel. So know it and know it again and know it more and know it deeper so that you might grow in your discernment of error and reject any distortion of the gospel and care for your church family enough to unite with them to expel error by expelling those who propagate it among us. In Galatians 1, Paul is addressing the churches. You. He's addressing congregations, church. Know the gospel well enough to detect error and love the gospel and love your brothers and sisters passionately enough to be intolerant of any distortion. So I say that on the one side of my mouth, and I think it's supported, obviously, in this book. But out of the other side of my mouth, I will also say to the overly intolerant among us that being overly intolerant is a real possibility. So in a letter where Paul calls for intolerance of distortion and immediate, unapologetic, no compromise, expulsion of error and those who promote it, That this, as in Galatians, is different from Acts 18 should be hopefully pretty clear to you. If Acts 18 doesn't strike a 
chord of remembrance in you, it is when Priscilla and Aquila first hear Apollos, who was, quote, fervent in spirit and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Verse 26 of Acts 18 says that when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, quote, they took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. And the end product was, quote, he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So what I'm saying is I'm anticipating this study because Paul is urgent about the gospel here. Galatians is a preserved, inspired, real-life example and reminder of why we rightly take three-quarters of a year to rehearse the gospel. Because legitimate threats upon the gospel will come upon the church from the outside and tragically from the inside. And Paul's unapologetic assigning of motives throughout this letter is a helpful reminder to the overly tolerant among us that not everyone is just misinformed. And the church is not always called toward patience and tolerance and time and assuming things will resolve themselves quietly and naturally on their own or just go away. Brothers and sisters, this letter is a reminder that human beings are sinful And some actually do have bad motives. And your lack of urgency to know the gospel well enough to detect error and discern error and your willingness to ignore it or tolerate it in the church may in fact be the beginning of the end of your church. Christ Fellowship, if we even if we continue to gather, if we lose the gospel, we are not a church. So we must know it and know it again and know it deeper and know it enough to unite when distortion comes in and swiftly, unapologetically, intolerantly expel it. So on the one hand, I love Galatians and I anticipate its benefit here because it is a call to individual and corporate urgency in reference to the gospel, which I think we need to hear loudly, clearly. And not to overuse the word urgently. But I love it on the other hand because it is a call to others to just chill out. And to dig in for the long haul. And I think those two are inseparable. And enjoy life together as a covenant family. Knowing that the occasions in which we will have to deal swiftly and decisively to drive out error for the unity of the church and the preservation of the gospel are probably not weekly occasions. And that that sentence does not contradict, nor does it minimize any of the urgency that Paul expresses here at the outset of this letter. But it is saying... Those occasions probably aren't going to be weekly. If we are doing membership right, and if we're fulfilling our covenant vows to watch out for one another, they will hopefully be rare. 
And the daily, weekly life that we should be enjoying together is one of everything that comes later in the letter, mutual support and encouragement. That should be what's on display here. So so somehow we need to find a way by the grace of God and by the power of the Spirit to remain urgent in our daily personal pursuit and our weekly corporate pursuit of the gospel so that we instantly discern and detect error when it comes from without or when it begins to surface itself from within. But our everyday life together is not that. It can't be that. You can't be that or nobody is going to want to be around you. If the demeanor that you have toward your brothers and your sisters here is not of support and encouragement, but just waiting and watching and listening for them to say the slightest thing wrong so that you can pounce. That's not what he's calling us to. The Judaizers in Galatia are different from Apollos, and you need to keep those distinctions in your mind. And Galatians is helpful to the more intolerant among us, to identify who the real enemy is. It's not your brother and your sister who, ju- who has just as much room to grow as you do, even if the areas for growth are different. And theirs might be more obvious, or even if you aren't as unaware as others are of your own need for growth. Priscilla and Aquila did not condescend to Apollos for his discouragement in the gospel, but they encouraged him in the gospel in such a way that empowered him to be more accurate in the end and more bold and more useful for God's kingdom purposes than he was before. So this book attracts me, it motivates me, first of all, because it is urgently gospel-centered. Because Paul is defending the gospel in it in the face of error, and that has implications. And those implications are, first, be urgent about knowing and defending the gospel. Because of that, it, it is a call for urgency to the church. Again, to know the gospel well enough to detect and discern error and to love the church and to love your brothers and sisters in the church passionately enough to deal immediately and to deal severely to expel any and every distortion and distorter from it. It also carries with it the implication that we are to always remember who the true enemy is so that you don't miss out on the many blessings that God has designed to come to you in the context of your covenant membership at your church. As you mistake a less mature brother or sister for an enemy. And in the end, end up discouraging them rather than building them up and empowering them to be more useful for God's purposes than they were before. And, and brothers and sisters, this is a, it's a very serious thing. It's a very real thing. And unfortunately, I know that I've at times been that negatively for others and felt that as well, and neither of them are enjoyable. 
So I would challenge any of you who default to passivity and tolerance to hear Paul speaking specifically to you in Galatians 1 so that you see yourself in those who gave the benefit of the doubt and refused to question motives and decided to let the situation try to resolve itself and in the end and over time deserted the gospel themselves. I would also challenge those of you whose theological antennas are always up and detecting and listening and ready for a fight to just read the rest of the letter because it's full of things that you are going to miss out on if you fail to remember who the true enemy is and you function in reference to your brothers and your sisters like you're called to do in reference to those who intentionally distort the gospel and you constantly oppress and crush and discourage them. You need to read over and over and over and over chapters 5 and 6 of this letter as well as Acts 18 and be able to differentiate between the many Apollos who will always be among us to distinguish between them and the, the what he's dealing with here is the, the calculated unrepentant Judaizers who may in fact be among us at times throughout the course of our history but probably not every week and in every sermon or lesson or behind every Decision or difference of opinion. I think Mark Dever's counsel from Galatians is both wise and very appropriate, and I encourage you to listen closely. He says, if you happen to be a theology hound, perhaps, and he's, he's doing this in the context of a, a, a book, um, it's called like The Message of the New Testament, and it's, it's, it's just an overview. It was a series of sermons they did. It's an overview of, I think it's just a manuscript of those sermons. So he's overviewing the books. That's what you got to know when he says, if you happen to enjoy reading the earlier parts of this chapter, where we discuss justification by faith, but have been tempted to tune out as we consider chapters 5 and 6, after all, they are all about love and kindness, and everybody believes that. We don't really need sharp teaching on that stuff, right? He says, beware. Because it is possible to mentally affirm and even enjoy doctrine, but to not believe it. At least not in the biblical sense where God's love in Christ engulfs your heart and you find yourself beginning to love other people as you have been loved. So our motives are, one, Galatians is urgently gospel-centered and because of that, it calls the passive and intolerant towards urgency and discernment so that the gospel is preserved and error is expelled. And it calls the intolerant to remember who the enemy is so that you don't discourage your brothers and your sisters and miss out on all the incredible things God has designed for your good in the context of relationships within the church. And all of that is one motive with two implications or applications. Motive number two, Galatians is intensely Christ-centered. The second motive of this study is because Galatians is urgently gospel-centered, it is also intensely Jesus 
centered. And I don't mean either of those as short, shallow, pithy statements. Galatians is a real defense of the gospel in the face of error. And it's a call toward the church in two directions. But the point is, in order to be gospel-centered, it has to be Jesus-centered as well as Jesus is the center and central figure of the gospel. The reason this should be really helpful to us as we walk through this letter is because in Paul's defense of the gospel and in his desire to exalt Jesus over all things in his defense of the gospel, he saturates this letter with both theological argument and scriptural support in the letter. So that, implication number one, in this letter he teaches us, it's going to be on display throughout, he's teaching us how to reason theologically. And implication number two, All throughout this letter, he is teaching us over and over again how to read Scripture in a Christocentric way. As he quotes numerous passages throughout. His theological reasoning is on display in how he interacts with Peter in chapter 2. When Peter hypocritically refuses to eat with uncircumcised Gentiles and Paul confronts him in the presence of others. It's on display as he sorts out the role of the law in the Christian life at the end of chapter 2 and explains what legalism is and what true righteousness is and where it comes from. It's on display in chapter 3 as he sorts out the covenants in an effort to correct the specific distortion being propagated among them in reference to circumcision and the Abrahamic covenant. on display in his words about sonship and inheritance in chapter 4 as well as his use of the Hagar, Sarah, Ishmael, Isaac story at the end of chapter 4 and all over the place in chapters 5 and 6 as he drives at what all of this means for life. So we're motivated because this letter is intensely Jesus-centered, and in it, Paul teaches us how to reason theologically for real-life application and how to read Scripture as well. In particular, in reference to the person and work of Jesus, Paul argues over and over again from Scripture that Jesus is the Christ. Both covenants, both, both covenants and covenant signs, are fulfilled in him. Jesus is the true seed of Abraham who is the blessing to the nations. He is the one in whom Abraham believed for his justification and the one who bore the curse of the law for the redemption of his people. And he is the one in whom we continue to believe for our sanctification as well. And in doing that, he's exposing that legalism, which he's confronting here, is a term that applies not only to justification, but to sanctification as well. So watch out. So in the process of Paul teaching us how to reason theologically and argue scripturally, he's also helping us further sort out doctrine. Who Christ is, what Christ has done, and what this means for both justification and sanctification. So walking with Paul through this inspired 
display of reasoning and use of Scripture, we should receive both practical instruction and theological depth as well. We should come out on the other end of this study with a better understanding of both justification and sanctification. Their inseparable connection to each other, but their important distinction as well. And how legalism is a constant threat to the gospel in reference to both. So again, keeping our outline straight, going back to motives. Number one, Galatians is urgently gospel-centered. It calls us to pursue knowledge of it. It calls us to swift defense of it. At the same time, reminding us of who our enemy is so that we don't miss out on all the joyful things that God has prepared for us in the course of our covenant church life together. Motive number two, Galatians is also intense, intensely Christ-centered. Christ being the inseparable center and central figure of the gospel. And Paul displays both theological reasoning and scriptural support. That's going to ground us deeper in our understanding of his person and work so that life makes more sense for us as a result. As justification and sanctification come into clearer view. For us. Motive number three Galatians is intentionally doxological. And this study is motivated by a desire to see and to reflect Paul's effort to steer and deflect attention and glory from himself to God, where glory belongs. One thing that becomes instantly clear in this letter is how defensive Paul is in it. It's all over the place in chapters 1, 2, and then again in verse 6. But it's all over the place because his accuser's efforts to undermine him had the inseparable effect that they were undermining the gospel as well. And in undermining Paul and the gospel that God gave to him, to give to the churches of Galatia. His opponents were attempting, at least, to rob God of the glory that he designed for himself in the gospel. So Paul is intensely defensive, but never for selfish purposes. Over and over again, he says this gospel is God's gospel. And it centers on his son, Paul says, I did everything in my power to diffuse it and to stamp it out. But in God's grace, his purposes were greater. And he won the battle for my soul by sending his son to make atonement for my sin. And when it pleased him, he opened my blind eyes and revealed his son to me and set my captive soul free. And I am now his servant. And he has called me to preach his Gospel of grace to the ends of the earth so that others might be free in him as well. These among you are changing that message. Undermining the accomplishments of Christ and robbing God of the glory that he's designed for himself in the person and work of Christ. And I find help in this letter by Paul's selfless defense of himself because it's never with the intent to absorb glory, but always with the intent and the hope to deflect 
glory to its only rightful place, to God for his grace. So Christ fellowship. May God prepare us for an urgently gospel-centered and intensely Christocentric and an intentionally doxological letter filled with pointed applications so that life for us is both urgent and joyful. Theological and practical. Dead, serious, and yet overflowing with life and love. We need this letter as much as the churches of Galatia in the first century needed this letter. And I invite you to join your brothers and your sisters here as we begin in two weeks to walk through its content together. My hope is on the other end, we are more united in the gospel, more prepared to detect error, more bold to deal quickly and severely with distortions and distorters, but that we are also more aware of who our true enemy is so that we are more intentional in our efforts to encourage each other and bear each other's burdens, knowing that in Christ we are brothers and sisters, one in him and members of a reflection of his body on earth called Christ Fellowship in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. And if we're going to shoot for something to pass down to our children, may it be that we were urgent for the gospel, that we were intolerant of distortion, and that we were intensely supportive and encouraging to one another in the gospel. I think that is what Paul was shooting for here, and this is the end to which I will now close this in prayer. Would you join me? Father, we offer up many thanks for our redemption in Jesus. Unsought, undeserved, unwanted. Thank you for Christ coming to this world, enduring without fail all the way to the end, never sinning and therefore absorbing the punishment for our sins and rising from the dead, ascending to your right hand and ruling and reigning in sovereign grace over all things. He is now and he will forevermore. Thank you that he is our king. Thank you that you are our God. All glory be to you, Lord, for this plan, its accomplishment, and its flawless implementation among us. Father, prepare us for this letter. Prepare us for its content. May a sense of urgency be restored to us, but may a sense of decency as well 
given to us so that we might not miss out on all the wonderful things that you've planned for this body as it exists in covenant life together each day of every week of every year until Jesus comes. All this we offer with great hope, believing from your word that this would please you immensely to shower us with this kindness. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.